I had to be willing to meet each layer of, of fear or frustration. Frustration and anger are always a blanket on top of grief. Fear is a blanket on top of pain and grief, always. What's under there is grief and pain. And guess what? Even though we might project it onto issues with our children or whatever, grief and pain at the core are always the pain of our own separation from what we really are. Always, that's the root. Want to truly be the best parent you can be and help your child thrive after their autism diagnosis? This podcast is for all in parents like you who know more is possible for your child. With each episode, we reveal a secret that empowers you to be the parent your child needs now, saving you time, energy, and money, and helping you focus on what truly matters most, your child. I'm Cass. And I'm Len. Welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. Hello and welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. It's Len, and today I am joined by a fellow parent, a, a person who's also had their own very unique journey to support their child. Uh, and in this case, uh, my guest today is Melinda Edwards, and uh, she has been doing what Cass and I are trying to do in our own unique way, which is you know helping our, our child, in her case, her daughter, but then also helping in a variety of ways to help empower other parents to do the same. So today, uh, this is really just more of a parent's perspective. I'm going to hand it off to Melinda. And overall, the secret that we're going to hone in on, among many, is that your child is your mirror. And I'm really excited to have Melinda with me today. Welcome. Thank you so much, Len. It is, it's really a joy to be here. Um, and yeah, you you nailed it. I have discovered um, through my journey with my daughter, Sachi, that she is my mirror in a couple of really profound ways that that I'd love to share in a little bit. I, I, I think I'd like to start by sharing a bit about my journey with her so that those of you who are listening can understand how I came to to this deeper understanding of autism that that my daughter and my patients, I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist and work with people on the spectrum as well. They also are my mirrors. Um, so I, to, to share my story, I have to back up a little bit and share that I was raised in a Mayan Indian village in Guatemala. My parents were medical missionaries. And so from the time I was really young, I had this really deep longing for what I called truth with a capital T. It was such a profound longing. It really um, fueled my whole life. And it was a longing for something beyond mental religious beliefs. I wanted to experience the truth. That's what I called it then, not just know some beliefs in my head. And so that um, longing, that intense longing, um, propelled me on a spiritual journey for many, many years. And it included a lot of meditation retreats and um, spiritual teachers and traveling to India, living in spiritual communities, you name it. Um, and I did have a lot of spiritual insights and um, ch spiritual challenges along the way as well as I worked on myself to dive in deeper. Um, but when Sachi was born, that all changed. My whole life shifted. What had been um, 
fueling or driving the momentum of my whole life just dropped away. What happened is that what what came with her when she was birthed into the world was this profound and exquisite love that just filled my heart and my whole life and our our home. And I sensed in her this this just really exquisite sensitivity of her spirit and her heart and this exquisite and profound connection to everything and to everyone. She was so connected that there really wasn't even in her perspective, a her there. And I somehow sensed that it wasn't something that I thought about or believed it was a a knowing this deep knowing. So this, and, and with this deep connection that she was and is, um, I also experienced this exquisite purity and innocence that I really had never even imagined before. So all of my spiritual seeking from the past, from before that, just dissolved in the face of that love. Now, even as I was experiencing this love at this profound level, and my heart just wide open, um, and, and getting to experience some of that non-separation, the state that she she was born in, um, there were tremendous challenges. So it was just this real paradox because um, she had so many um, sensitivities physically um, and otherwise she was just like so many on the spectrum, exquisitely sensitive to, to light, to sound. I couldn't even take her to a grocery store without her being in, in extreme pain, just crying out in pain. She never slept. So I never slept um, because she had what they were calling colic. But what I know now was just this exquisite sensitivity. Um, then, this was since the get go, like, like from birth, she was super sensitive or did, did a lot of this develop a little bit later? That's a good question. For her, it was from birth. Um, just from the moment she came out, she was in a lot of, a lot of pain or seemingly so. Um, and you know, other things even psychologically were challenging, including that it looked like she wasn't connected to me. She never looked at me. I would jump up and down. She'd be staring out the window. I'd be jumping up and down, blowing a whistle, waving at her and never looked. But this deeper knowing, I sensed that she was so deeply connected. She felt everybody's feelings. Um, I could sense that she was deeply connected, even though it looked the opposite. Right. So, even early on, you sensed that she could sense your feelings, like that she was feeding off of you. Oh, yes. And anybody that walked in the house, too. She, yes, absolutely. So, that was part of her, her sensitivity. Um, so the sensitivity is through and through for Sachi and for the other people I know on the spectrum. It's not just bodies. It's heart and spirit, psyche, psychological, all of it. Um, and that is that state of oneness or non-separation that that my daughter and the people I know on the spectrum reside in. And I, I would suspect that um, many parents can can relate to this. The The sad thing for me is that Right now, the traditional medical uh, paradigm, which is sort of the disease model of of um, autism, um, is so limited that it misses that deeper piece. Um, so anyways, back to my story. Um, so I was in this profound state of love in spite of all these challenges. And. But at some point, I realized that something 
wasn't quote normal here with Saatchi. So I started to look into it and I, you know, we all have moments um, when that are just sort of um, burned into our psyche. And one of the moments that I will never forget is standing in front of my washer and dryer and opening up the DSM diagnostic psychiatric manual. Um, I work with adults, not children. So I was looking through the children's section and went trying to figure out what's going on here because there were so many delays and so many issues. When I got to the autism section, it was just check, 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 check every symptom. And I just remember the blood just draining from my head down to my feet. Felt like my heart fell to the floor. Um, utter devastation. And um, at that moment, I had to, I intentionally, as a psychiatrist, I intentionally went into denial because I had so much to juggle. I couldn't handle it right then. Well, sure enough, a few months later, the formal diagnosis came and it was also presented in that paradigm where this is, we know this is devastating, you know, that kind of paradigm. Um, but fast forward to now, I, I, you know, I, it's the greatest gift that ever happened to me. So just to mention that before I finish the rest of my story, um, so at any rate, with the diagnosis, when the formal diagnosis came, um, it shifted me from that state of love into fear. And, and I would say that there were two things that I feared the most that were in the foreground at that point. And one was, will my daughter ever be able to love and to be loved? Because for me, as a human being, that's the most important thing. And I didn't know if she would be able to be. Um, the second fear, terror, was, will she ever be able to function independently? I'm a single mom. She doesn't have any siblings. Who's going to take care of herself? And, and what will happen to her when I'm gone? So the the fear um, took the foreground and the love receded, the, the state of love that I had been in um, receded. So then as I, I, I don't know if, if you and Cass went through this, Len, or other parents did, but I jumped on the bandwagon of all the therapies. My fear was fueling that. I mean, we did everything. I crammed everything in. Well, we, we were there, yes, we were there with you and not to sidetrack you, but I know a lot of parents who are listening, right? What, everything you just described, people have been through some version of that, right? To go from some, you know, super amazing feelings of love and delight and all that into, and then to shift into some version of fear or anxiety, um, you know, that, that that's like a shovel to the head. I, I totally can relate yeah. to what experience. I, I'm just thinking though for you it's a little bit interesting in the sense that you you know based on your profession you were already uh, you're a psychiatrist helping adults right so you're in the field overall and then to get a to get a diagnosis of autism you know from a developmental pediatrician in my guess it's just interesting that you hear you hearing that and hearing the prog the lack of a prognosis, right? The lack of, of hope. Like how was it? I'm just curious, how was it delivered for you? Uh, because I, I know you, you obviously are a medical professional. You had heard of autism before, but and when you saw what was happening with Sachi and all of a sudden reading in the DSM, right? That oh oh my goodness, this is autism. Like 
it was surprising, I'm guessing, because you probably had a different version of what you thought autism was. Yes. Even though I love it that you're asking this, even though I, you know, work with some adults on the spectrum, um, it's different when it's your child. And it's it's a lot more difficult to recognize things in our children as well, because it's so close up, you know, um, and and you asked how it was presented to me. Um, and it was presented to me by two very loving people, um, the developmental pediatrician and the psychologist who tested her. They sat me down at a, a child's table in the room and they were very somber. And I knew that they were getting ready to deliver some devastating news. Um, so it was presented in that way as a disease. Um, and there is treatment, you know, trying to also present the hope um, that there is treatment and we don't know. You can't really tell what the outcome will be in terms of getting rid of symptoms. But basically that the goal was to get rid of symptoms and nothing against these um providers because that is the medical paradigm that i was even trained in you know that um so but get rid of the symptoms and make her more normal now it pains me even to say that now but that is the model that i bought into hook line and sinker my fear drove me straight into it so like you said len um i mean all the therapies you name it OT, speech therapy, PT, ABA, uh, relationship development intervention, um, course therapeutic course back. I mean, it goes on and on. Anything that I felt wouldn't harm her, right. I dove into. And anything that I felt wouldn't utterly break our bank um, and leave us destitute, I dove into with her out of fear. And, and deeper than that, out of love, because it was that I was afraid for her, you know, um, and her experience in the world. But the fear was driving the show. Yeah, I can relate to so much of what you're saying. And at least for me, the fear um, that was there, it was not only for my son and what I was wanting for him, but it was for, for myself as well. There's a lot that's going on, right, in terms of a parent oh. um, and get and go and again, having that traumatic experience of having your world shift so much. And I would at least say that you seem like you had a um, probably a better experience than I think most parents get when they get that diagnosis, because at least you had somebody who was saying, you know, who, who was delivering it in what seemed like a um, a respectful, kind of loving and, and somewhat yeah. encouraging way. But but I think it's worth focusing on the paradigm that you mentioned is, a, I think, a key thing for anyone listening to really focus on the paradigm, the model that is out there is one where you're going to be told your child's broken. Yes. Some will say your child's broken and there ain't nothing you can do about it. So get some therapy for you and the child help make things better. And you're going to have to live with this for the rest of your life. So that's one version. Another version is your child's broken and maybe there's some stuff you can do, but you probably don't want to waste your time. And so, you know, like, so there's different degrees. And at least it seems like you had people who say, hey, listen, nothing's in stone and there are some, um, but but unfortunately that paradigm and that person who is giving that diagnosis, they only know of a, sy- a, a system that's designed to address the symptoms mm. of what's going on with your child and to correct it, it, it's not about anything bigger than that. And that's where, again, just the, the worldview of the people who are in the space, and again, they're not horrible people. Right. It's just one where yeah, from the gate, you're given, you know, kind of not much hope. And 
actually you're you're being set in a direction that's off. Um, yeah, very well maybe offer you a child. So I just wanted to kind Absolutely. of talk, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and it's it's not. I would say it's not even just a direction. It's a, a foundation that's being laid that's yeah. incorrect or not. It's it's so limited to just focus on the symptoms um, and to try to get rid of them. It's it's so. Now I will say this, Len, that um, I don't regret having um, supported Sachi in learning how to be in this world, it's very hard to be in this world for all of us, let alone for exquisitely sensitive beings. And so I still support her in learning how to navigate this very harsh world. Um, So I don't regret that. What I could have done differently if I had known better, but I didn't, so I'm in full compassion for myself as well, is being run by fear. but it wasn't that the paradigm created the fear. What I know is that whatever happens outside of us or whatever we're presented with triggers what's already in us. So it was the perfect opportunity for me to be with these fears that are already inside of me um, and to open them up so that I could ultimately face them. Now, I didn't for years. I was running, you know, running like crazy from the fears, trying to to get rid of these my daughter's symptoms. And again, it just hurts my heart to even say that. Um, so as time went on, um, what happened was I would get glimpses of the oneness and non-separation that she, the state that she was and is in. Um, so I'd be running around ragged, you know, and it's like the curtains would part all of a sudden. And there were a lot of different things that happened, but many times she would, it took her a long time to learn how to talk. But when she did, she would be speaking my thoughts. And I would just discount it. Oh, I must have said that a while ago or something. And then finally, I caught on that. No, I didn't say it. You know, I kept discounting all these things that would happen. I told you she was fully aware of my feelings, other people's feelings. Absolutely. She would actually express those feelings. Um, if someone could come in, or I would even pretend not to be sad when I was and she would cry. So she was tuned in at a much deeper level than the pretense. And I have found that to be true with everyone I've met on the spectrum, that they know what's going on. Don't try faking it because it ain't going to work <laughs> with them. Um, she, even, if, even if your child can't demonstrate that, yeah. that, that that's, that's the key thing is that they understand everything. And now you're saying they're sensing everything. And again, that you can choose to believe it or not believe it, but, but it, trust me, it, if it's happening, and I believe it's happening, you may be getting no visible signs, you know, exactly. from that child that it is, but that does not mean it's not happening. That's exactly right. They are so deeply connected, much more in tune or intuitive or connected than we are. But the paradox is it usually doesn't look like it. Um, so, so you know, other things, just little glimpses that I can share is she, um, she always loved um one of my spiritual teachers my main spiritual teacher Neem Karoli Baba who was Ram Dass's guru and she was deeply connected to anybody that was um connected to Neem Karoli Baba she carried around his picture for years and years wouldn't let it go i mean from the time she was a baby she carried around his picture i took her to meet Ram Dass and she just laid her head on his um knee she was very connected with Krishna Das who was another devotee of Neem Karoli Baba um, and remain so to this day. Um, so that was 
you know, one aspect, just a, a, a natural deep connection with this sort of, for lack of a better term, sort of soul grouping. Um, one day, as part of this, one day I took her to see someone who was connected with Neem Karoli Baba named Shamdas. And um, she loves chanting, Sachi does, like Hindu chants that Krishna Das does, and Shamdas chants. So I took her to see him. He was in town. We both enjoyed it so much. I think she was like three years old. And then we came home and, you know, went on with our lives, didn't mention it again. That was the first time we had ever met him or heard of him. A year later, she couldn't talk um, very well, but she started saying, Shada, 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 over and over. I couldn't figure out what she was saying. And she kept on and on. And I started getting really frustrated because this was every day for a month or more. It must have been about a month. And she just kept so persistent and determined. And finally, I figured out that she was saying Shamdas. And so I said, Sachi, you know, I was just like at the end of my rope. I said, Sachi, you know, he lives in India. He's not here. There's no way he's coming back, you know. So I looked him up on the Internet. He had died a month before. So she knew that. And, you know, so we we went out in the yard and picked a camellia and put it on a little table for him. And, and after that, there was no more mention of him. She somehow needed me to know that. So, you know, just another way that she was so tuned in. So these things kept happening. And there was a turning point for me. Um, I worked for years and years on pronouns with her. She just didn't get them. Like I, you, he, her. And I tried everything. I mean, and it's almost comedic, if that's a word, like, it's almost funny, if you think about it, like, I would say to her, No, I'm you. And you're me, you know, I mean, you just can't. And then I get someone else in the room, the speech therapist and go behind her. And I tried everything, nothing worked. Um, And one day, a friend who is herself deeply intuitive came over. And Sachi said something to her, I think Sachi was like, maybe six or so. And she said, you show you your room. And I kind of rolled my eyes because I was, you know, sort of exasperated with the pronoun thing by that point. And I said, she's trying to translate for, I said, she's trying to tell you that she wants to show you her room. So my friend Mary said, and I said, you know, I just, I'm sorry, but I just get kind of frustrated with this because we've been working on it so long. She said, I go by Mindy. And she said, Mindy, of course she doesn't know pronouns and can't get them. She doesn't experience separation. So there's no other for her. There is no you. It's all I, I-ness, everybody, everything. So of course she can't understand that concept. And that hit my heart so strong. And it, it's, I think it's a great example of how I was trying to train her, yes, how to be in this world of separation and harshness. When she was coming from this profound place of oneness that I had been seeking all of my life on my intense spiritual journey, that hit me. And I mean, talk about heartache. I, oh, I realized at that point that so much of what I had been doing was trying to get rid of what we were calling symptoms, but were simply reflections of her state of consciousness, of that oneness, that it, that place of non-separation, by the way, and not by the way, perhaps most importantly, this is the place we are all born from. This We all are that oneness, whether you call it God, the infinite, the self with a capital S, 
love with a capital L, truth with a capital T. And I am not just saying this from a belief. I know this deeply, that we all are that. We are love at our core. And these beings on the spectrum that I know are living from that place. And we all are on a journey back to that place that we are born from, that we are in the very fabric of our being. That is our soul's curriculum to journey back to that place of love. And what I have said to many people is um, those of us whose souls chose autism as part of our curriculum or the main part of our soul's curriculum chose the accelerated path, Um, the most intense curriculum, or I would say a very intense curriculum, perhaps not the most intense, but we, our souls are offering us um, such an opportunity for um, journeying back to love, that the love that we are. Um, And I've got more to say about that, but didn't know if you wanted to jump in here, Lynn, and add anything. Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't want to sidetrack anything, but I'm just thinking how much this concept, which I fully understand as much as I can and, and believe, right. No question. My son, these kids, your daughter are much more connected to source than I am, than than perhaps we are. Um, And so I fully believe that, but it's not lost on me how like right after my son's diagnosis and that the first couple of years, I would have thought this is all total nonsense because I was so focused on my mission, which is the, the, again, that, that path I was set on, you know, by the influences at the time of, okay, we got to correct this thing. We got to correct it quick. And we have to, um, uh, you know, do everything we can, like my wife and I do everything we can. And we are like you, we invested and did, therapies, diet interventions, other interventions, anything that couldn't cause harm, you know, so we'd look for things that could have an upside, but, but, you know, so I just think about myself on that path and I wouldn't have been really open to really fully embracing this idea that, oh, wait a second, what's happening with my son isn't a problem to be fixed. And especially since what Cass and I do a lot of times with the coaching that we provide is helping my parents identify the root cause of whatever's happening with their child. So take this as an example, and then I'll hand it back to you. Take this as an example that, okay, pronouns. My, and Raya had a huge issue with pronouns and very frustrating for me. I'm like, why, you know, why can't you get this? Because he's yeah. a smart kid. Um, so at the time I would say, okay, well, he doesn't understand, can't use pronouns the right way. So the root cause must be, okay, there's some kind of brain inflammation, something going on in his body, and, you know, we're going to address it. But never for a second would I have ever thought back then, oh, wait a second, the root cause is, he's, he, he is one. He, he, so, so, so that would have made things so much easier early on and say, hey, wait a second, he's doing this for a really good reason. And maybe yeah. one that's like light years ahead of wherever I'm possibly going to get to in my lifetime. And then with that, belief that that is what's going on there would have been such less weight on me to fix that problem and maybe to stop trying to fix that problem for now and maybe find something else that's going to meet him where he is and do something that's actually useful as opposed to something that you know again just might be hacking at the leaves 
and, and therefore distracting yeah. me from finding what's really going to be useful now. Yes. Yes. And I also um, know from my own spiritual journey that everything that appears in my life, everything, every experience is an opportunity to dive into my own heart. Um, now I got sidetracked with my fear. Fear can kind of cloud that understanding. And, you know, what I would add to what you're saying, Len, is sometimes it's it can be partly just a simple mental shift of paradigm. Oh, I didn't realize I was buying into this disease paradigm. So I'm going to shift and recognize these deeper, beautiful aspects of my child, even as I might support them in being in the world. Um, what for me, it wasn't that simple. Um, you know, I mentioned all the glimpses. What I found is that what was between me and this deeper knowing, because for me, it had to come, I had to know it with my whole being, not just my mind, was layers of grief. And in my experience, the grief can't be bypassed if we are really going to journey back to the love in our hearts. The, the grief itself, the layers of grief are the doorways back to my heart. And there were many, many layers, you know, they would come about in different ways, but it could be, oh, a milestone wasn't reached or a goal or recognizing. I mean, I remember when I came to understand she's going to need support the rest of her life. This whole goal of her being fully independent is not going to happen, not to limit anybody, but there was this reckoning that came. And with that, tremendous pain and grief. Um, and and as, as we all can sense, when we really finally let go of a contraction or fear or a defense that's been around our heart, for me, it was all this fear that was coming up about her future. When that begins to dissolve, we begin to experience the, the exquisite tenderness of our heart. That is what grief is. It is like one molecule away from the tenderness of our heart. It, it actually is the tenderness of our own heart and leads us into that place of non-separation. Because as we all know, when we're in a place of real tenderness, there is so much less separation. Um, we are in that place of connection and oneness and love. So for me, I had to be willing to meet each layer of, of fear or frustration. Frustration and anger are always a blanket on top of grief. Fear is a blanket on top of pain and grief, always. What's under there is grief and pain. And guess what? Even though we might project it onto issues with our children or whatever, grief and pain at the core are always the pain of our own separation from what we really are. Always. That's the root. And so as we open to our grief about whatever it might seem like it's about, we open more to the love and connection and non-separation that we really are. So it's not just a one-time hit for me anyways. It, it, you know, I'm, I'm a slow, slow learner on my soul journey. I'm not, I've had to take some really hard knocks in life. It took a lot for me and is still taking a lot, but, um, but that's, that's been my process is, you know, layers, almost like a, a thing of lettuce, you know, layers just coming off um, as I open to the difficult parts of being human, of being 
of identifying as an individual. Um, so, so, you know, kind of coming back to the couple realization, the couple um, nugget realizations about autism and then the mirror, the mirroring aspect. Um, what I know about Sachi and others on the spectrum is that they are deeply connected to love and source, what we've been talking about this whole time. And that her, quote, symptoms are her, a sign of her exquisite sensitivity, not only of her body, but also of her heart and spirit. It's just a reflection of that. And I believe that we are on an evolutionary path and that these beings on the spectrum are um, harbingers or forerunners of what's to come. Um, and the world hopefully will um, expand and become more accommodating of all these sensitivities so that um, so that they can bloom more and continue to evolve to where we all are residing in that place of oneness. So the mirror part, um, my daughter, Sachi, I'll just tell you how it is for me. So like I said, she reflects back to me that place of oneness and non-separation where her spirit resides. And when I'm really in tune with that, I become aware of that in myself. So she's a mirror to me of my own oneness and non-separation that isn't separate from hers or yours or anybody else's. The other part of the um, her being my mirror is that she reflects back to me all of my contractions and triggers and walls and defenses that are around my heart. Whenever I get triggered with her, I know it's not about her. Even though it might seem like it, I'm projecting it on her. There's a place in me that is asking to be recognized and to be met with compassion so that I can meet whatever layer it is that's that's um, preventing me from residing more fully in my heart. Yep. I'm just letting that, that set in. And uh, yeah, I, I'm just reminded that, yes, whatever is happening um, where I'm reacting in a way that I'm not liking or not wanting, uh, I've learned it's always about me. It's never about my son, right? That like ultimately um, you know, my son can't do anything to it, can't make me feel sad, can't make me feel angry. I mean, I'm I'm choosing everything. And that that was a powerful revelation. And this mirror concept resonates with me as well, because um, just as you described of how um, she's reflecting, you know, of, from your experience and your your connection and the like, you know, it's also about any emotions, anything that's happening. Um, there, there's, it's a it's a two way mirror almost where like the parent and child are feeding off of each other, which is all the more reason for a parent if you're in like I was a fear paradigm, if you're in an anxiety paradigm. And again, we all go there absolutely from time to time. But if I were to stay perpetually in that, then then again, my son was absolutely going to feed off of it. So so if you so what I learned is that I had to get out of the fear and anxiety and, and that constant race that you mentioned, if not for just myself, for me not to feed that towards my son because again I was just everything I was doing I was teaching him yeah and I didn't want him to learn how to use fear as a motivator and to live in fear in some way you know when I really thought about it what I wanted most for him was to feel accepted and safe and and to feel sincere connection which as you mentioned you can't fake that 
you know, you, you can't and you can't fake how you're feeling in a tone of voice, put on a, a better, you know, affect, you know, kids see right through all that. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I love now, that. It took me a little bit to figure that out. You may have kind of sensed that much earlier, but whatever you as a parent figure this out, trust me, you will at some point, the sooner you do, the better, because again, it's just, it's about how the energy that you're giving off and not that it's not okay to feel strong emotions and and to feel fear and all these things, emotions are emotions. It's just, how are you operating on a day-to-day basis? What's the dominant you know, what's the energy that you're giving off? And again, I think the system set up for you to be as a parent in this not helpful state and not sustainable state. And and there's just a much different path that you can take, which is rooted in acceptance. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to do things that could help improve with behaviors and symptoms, all that. But, but it comes down to, you know, what's your primary objective? Yes. So your primary object- objective shifted. Absolutely. And my primary focus, um, uh, which is recognizing her spirit and her heart. Again, still doing all the practical stuff. Um, and I, I think maybe just, I've told you, Len, that I'm not the how-to person, but I think if I give a just maybe a couple of real quick examples of how the shift happens for me, because we all have emotions, like you said, we all react and there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, that all needs to be met with compassion. You can't just get rid of it. Um, when Sachi was younger, um, we talked about the pronoun, the frustration, all that. When she was younger, and she still does some, but she used to make these really strange otherworldly sounds. I would trigger my fear. She's not going to be loved. Nobody's going to understand why she's doing this. And I would try to get her to stop in whatever way I could. Sachi, no sounds. And I tried behavioral stuff, everything. Well, finally, when I, came to realize that this was my fear asking to be met. I sat with it for a couple of years because this was a hard one for me, the irritation and the fear and wouldn't let myself discharge the energy of the fear by trying to get her to stop. We discharge our fears that way. So I would sit with it and sit with it. Finally, my heart opened underneath the, the irritation, anger and, and fear. And I wept because it was, it was a barrier in my own heart that I was experiencing and projecting on her. Another just real quick um, thing that that's a little bit more humorous, but she um, has always loved sports shorts with the kind of silky material. Um, and in the past she used to touch up other people's shorts and she loves pockets and she would run up to strangers and put her hands in their pockets. I mean, you can imagine we're in the grocery store. I'm trying to get groceries and off she runs all of a sudden, I, I look way over there in the distance and her hand is in people's pockets. Like, who knows what they're thinking? You know, maybe she's trying to grab, I, I, you know. So I, I was so upset. And I, I realized after some time, this triggered a couple of fears. It triggered a fear of other people's anger in me, fear of their judgment um, and embarrassment. So I had to sit with those things. Eventually, that released, that contraction released. And it seemed humorous to me. So I started going up when this would happen. I would go run after her and go and tell people, I am so sorry. You know, I've been trying to teach her how to pickpocket, but she just hasn't quite gotten it yet. So, so, you know, it became this funny thing that there wasn't tension or fear around. So those are just a couple of examples of how 
for me, it's sitting with it and allowing the layers to unwind. Because when I discharge it through action, that energy, I'm running from it. So that's all I really have to say about that. But I, I think that I'm imagining that parents might be thinking, okay, that's all fine and good. But how do I come to that? It's a process. It's a process. Yep. No, no, no doubt. It's a process and it doesn't have to take a long, long time, but perhaps as long as it did for you and I, uh, but it starts with changing, changing your perspective, changing your intention, changing your, just kicking the tires on what you're really going for. Because again, if you're set with the wrong objective, like I was at the outset, so many options come off the table and, yeah. and you're, and again, you're also, setting perhaps on a journey that really can only be frustrating and feel hard. And there's just a, a totally different way of operating, but it really comes down to shifting your perspective, shifting the paradigm. This podcast yeah. is all about helping parents do that. And I know you have an event coming up that is also really meant to help people shift the paradigm that they're even looking at how they are, what they're being called to do for their child. Yes, yes, yeah. Thank you for opening that up for me to share that. Um, out of my experience with my journey with my daughter, a vision came for the founding of a nonprofit organization called Living Darshan. Um, and if, if anybody wants to know more about that, the website is livingdarshan.org. It's a 501c3 nonprofit. Darshan is spelled D-A-R-S-H-A-N. My nonprofit is hosting a um our first annual Awaken Through Autism conference. And it is on October 6th here in the Charleston, South Carolina area. Um, if anybody's interested in joining us for that, it's a day-long event. And the website for that is awakenthroughautism.com. Fantastic. Yeah, no, I know I will be there. It's driving distance for me. So I'm excited. And again, just demonstrating that it's a constant process of learning and growing and expanding and uh, and again, so much more becomes possible when you see your role as a parent differently, perhaps, than you did when you first got that diagnosis. Absolutely. And also the shift in paradigm of recognizing that we are all on this journey back to love. That really is what's happening at a deeper level. So we might as well be conscious of it and recognize that autism is such a powerful opportunity to come back to the love that we all are. No doubt. Nope. There's no powerful feeling and emotion there. And I think that's where what you're providing with your event is a great example of being in community with other parents is a incredibly important part of this journey. And unfortunately, there's just so many support groups or, or ways that maybe people connect that sometimes doesn't lift you up and it doesn't fill your heart. And it doesn't, doesn't help just feeling, you know, sorry for yourself with, with a group of people who are all doing the same, right? Like ultimately we all want, yes, to be heard and we're, we're all going through challenges, but just to have some opportunity to be in community with people and to be focusing on what we're wanting more than what we're not wanting um, yeah. is an incredibly, it's a wonderful gift you can give yourself and your child. Absolutely. And, you know, I have found that when I am in community with people that I resonate deeply with who share the same paradigm that nourishes that deepening in myself. When I, you know, am 
too much around people who have different paradigms or are coming from a different place, it affects me. Um, so it's not that I don't hang out with those people, but I make sure that I nourish my soul by being with people who who I resonate deeply with. And the conference is um, for parents, for therapists, for people on the spectrum. It's for all of us to be in community. Fantastic. Well, hey, again, your child is your mirror. And the more you can fill your cup and and present a, a even more compelling um, op- optimistic, hopeful version of yourself, confident version of yourself to your child, uh, that that that's a huge, huge move. So uh, so I'm looking forward to spending a day with you and and those other souls who are going to be there. And uh, in the show notes, we'll include the links if that's something uh, that you are um, ready to, to do for yourself. And again, just Melinda, really appreciate you sharing your story and going deep on this one insight among many and uh, just wishing you and your daughter the very best. Thank you so much, Len. It's really been a joy to be here and to share with all of you. Want to discover your top autism parenting blind spot? Take our free quiz today. Go to allinparent.com slash go.